Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Career Catharsis, Episode 4. I'm your host, Neha Koram. Today, we'll be chatting with career coach and diversity, equity, inclusion thought partner, Adriel Parker, on how to practice inclusion in the workplace. Thanks so much for joining for today's episode on inclusion, Adriel. So before we dive into some of the questions that I had for you, I'd love for our audience to learn a little bit more about your background and what it is that you do. Um, so can you share a little bit more about yourself? Sure, of course. Um, so Adrielle Parker, um, I go by she, her, and I am an independent diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant or thought partner, as I like to think of it. Um, and I'm really passionate about helping um, companies, teams, leaders, et cetera, um, improve their cultural competency to build more inclusive workplaces. Um, I'm also a career coach and I work um, primarily with mid-level professionals of color um, who are either looking to sort of gain clarity on their purpose or uh, rediscover their purpose to reach the next chapter of their careers. So uh, that's me <laughs> in a nutshell. Thank you. And this is all very important work. So there's mm -hmm. the E&I side to things, which I think has been a really hot topic as of recent, which I think a lot of us are very thankful to see that a lot of yeah. companies are starting to pay attention to these matters and mm -hmm. focusing more on belonging and how do we really ensure that it's a psychologically safe work environment for all types of people. Yeah, yeah. Other yeah. So the other part of that was the career coaching. So I believe that would be working one-on-one -on -one, or can you tell me a little bit more about um, what it is that you do as a career coach? Yeah. So I, exactly. I work one-on-one -on -one with individuals um, who, again, are sort of um, typically in a transitional phase of wanting to do more, right? So either they're in this sort of uh, limbo where they feel kind of stuck in their careers um, or they, you know, know exactly what they want to do next, but just need support getting there, whether that's a, you know, uh, a move like a promotion moving up, or if it's a lateral move where they're trying to figure out how their skills can transfer over to a different role or industry, um, et cetera. Okay. And do you have a quick candidate story, anything that jumps out in your time working with candidates um, that you'd like to share? Yeah. So do you mean like career coaching or so I was also a, a recruiter at one point. So I've had a lot of candidates in my life as well. We can go um, back to the recruiting days too. I know that there's tons of great stories uh, there. So up to you which one you want to pull, but it's always uh, interesting for me to hear what um, other coaches and recruiters have experienced yeah. on the field with, with candidates. Definitely. Well, I'll give you a current one. So I have a client right now who um, is amazing and um, has been just a constant reminder of how much I love doing this work. Um, and they, they were, you know, when they came to me, were just kind of frazzled and like, oh my goodness, I want to do X, Y, Z, but I'm not sure how to get there. Um, and so we spent some time doing what I call a decluttering session where we pretty much mapped out this person's goals, um, mapped out a timeline of how we'll get there. Um, and we've been meeting fairly regularly, I think, 
I'd say bi-weekly on average. Um, and it's just been so amazing to follow their journey and see how much confidence they've gained. They were kind of in this, um, the state of sort of analysis paralysis and, um, you know, second guessing themselves and just to see the, the confidence build over time and to see this person, um, you know, kind of think more strategically about how they're going about the next steps in their career has just been really rewarding. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just nice. It's, it's, it's great to see. Um, but that's one of many stories. I think uh, one of my favorite stories from my sort of diversity recruiting days, I helped put together um, a internship day for um, some students from an HBCU. And um, we gave them an office tour and they came in and did some interviews and we had some really great discussions about inclusion. And that was just so rewarding on so many levels to see um, how driven, you know, even students are and new grads are and how eager they are. But um, it also opened my eyes to so many of the inequities that exist within the workplace. And so for that reason, I, you know, that that interaction really impacted my career because it forced me to look beyond just the recruiting part and explore diversity, equity, inclusion on a larger scale, which is what I'm doing now. So. That's lovely. So just uh, that small initiative kind of opened your eyes to the larger opportunity that yes. there is with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And so in your diversity, equity, and inclusion work, what mm -hmm. would you say is the number one challenge that you see companies facing when shifting to an inclusive culture and maybe rolling out some of these initiatives or programs? Yeah, so I would say that, unfortunately, a lot of leaders at companies still aren't treating diversity, equity, and inclusion as a business imperative. Um, and in fact, it is, right? We have to treat it just as we would any other business development path or, or project. Um, and so thinking about it in a very strategic way is important. Having, um, you know, metrics is important. And I'm not just speaking to having diversity or demographic metrics, but um, the more qualitative side of things, which is, you know, overall feelings of inclusion and belonging. And, um, you know, you could even measure or ask your employees today, what is your sort of take on inclusion? And then later ask them six months from now and, and kind of see the change or impact that your work is doing. So there are ways to measure diversity, equity, inclusion work that people um, often don't think about or overlook. Um, but again, I think the largest challenge, again, is leadership engagement. Um, and engagement goes beyond buy-in. We constantly hear leaderships are, leadership is bought in, they're bought in. But buy-in just means that, you know, you're kind of just supporting the efforts. Like you're saying, hey, sure, here's the budget. Let's go, you know, hire a diversity person or consultant and let them help us. Or you put it onto the HR person. Or even worse, what we see or what I see often is that companies are asking marginalized employees to do this work when in fact, you know, it's not even what they were hired to do, right? Um, it's different if, of course, they were hired to do the DEI work for your company, but if they're not, then it's not fair to tokenize someone in that way. Um, so leadership engagement, when they're actually engaged, they're sitting in these meetings where we're strategizing, coming up with plans for how you actually foster inclusion. Um, they're leading conversations with, with uh, employees and being honest and, you know, having some level of humility in some way to say like, hey, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers, but I'm here and I'm engaged and I'm looking and seeking to learn. 
um, and support us. Uh, and there's a lot of research out there that shows us that, um, you know, to truly change or influence a culture and make it more inclusive, you have to have leaders um, leading the charge um, and really setting the tone for, um, you know, best practices and what people should, should do, modeling the behavior. I love that, that distinction between, we're not just looking for buy-in, mm -hmm. not just looking for a stamp of approval. Mm -hmm. uh, we need them to really live it and yes. lead by example and be engaged with it. Mm -hmm. So that's really key. And I know a lot of organizations will, you know, they'll engage with these outside partners or DE&I practitioners such as yourself. Yes, yes. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where it's not like, you know, you're going to um, be able to kind of take all of that on. It's really about empowering the players within the organization, especially the leaders, to exhibit that behavior. And that's really how you shift that um, culture. So I would love to know what can individuals, so anyone who might be listening to this, so for that context, you know, we've, we've got leaders, we've also got HR professionals, but there's also mm -hmm. just individual contributors that might be looking to, you know, soak up some wisdom and um, practice a little bit of what we, what we discuss here. So for those yeah. people, what would you say, you know, they can do to promote a sense of belonging for their peers? If we were to just talk about, you know, individual habits, or even if you have some advice on how to kind of motivate your peers, um, yeah. to, to really champion, um, the cause. Yeah, definitely. So individuals can, you know, do a couple of different things. Um, and I kind of categorize them as like actions that you can take on your own that are going to be influential. And then um, this other piece where you're keeping an eye out for the overall systemic issues that may be preventing inclusion. So when we're talking about things that you can do on your own, you know, some kind of things that may seem basic, but like be approachable and receptive and attentive, you know, to people. Um, you know, speaking from the I perspective, because we can only speak on what we know and what we experience, we can't speak for everyone else. Um, so being able to use direct language is, is important. Um, one thing that's been really top of mind lately uh, that I've had conversations about with, with some of the people I partner with is um, body language, because we're on Zoom now. So people will be on video and they'll mute themselves, but as someone's talking, they may roll their eyes or they may, you know, be shaking their head no in disagreement, which is, you know, not fostering inclusion at all. So being aware of your body language, especially now more than ever. Um, also speaking up for yourselves uh, and, and for others if something is wrong, right? We uh, talk a lot about microaggressions and bias in the workplace. So if you witness something of that nature, actually speaking up to it and saying something um, either directly to the person or to a manager, HR, business partner, someone who can, who can address the issue so it doesn't just go uh, unsolved or unresolved rather. Um, so those are some of the things individually. And then in terms of like what you can look for in the workplace right to foster inclusivity um, we i often tell people like we need to look at the overall sort of systems policies processes and procedures that um, exist when, within our workplace so that's you know looking at feedback and evaluations are they fair do we receive feedback at a regular cadence and it's not just employee or individual contributors receiving feedback, but also being able to give it back to managers and leaders, right? So there's this feedback loop um, mm -hmm. 
that goes both ways. Um, looking at promotions, you know, is the is it clear how I get promoted, or you know, is there favoritism? Do people, um, you know, select people get tapped on their shoulder and have jobs created for them? Um, or, you know, for example, is it clear if I'm looking to make a lateral move, is it clear to me what steps I need to take and how long it should take? Um, I've, recently, I spoke to someone and they were saying how it took them years to make a lateral move um, internally, and um, that shouldn't be the case. And they were constantly struggling to understand, like, why is it taking so long? Like. I'm receiving positive feedback. I'm told that I'm a high performer. And yet every time I try to make this move, um, there's always a blocker, right? So looking and understanding those. Um, and then also hiring, you know, we can't overlook hiring. There are so many potential blockers there. So if you work at a workplace and you notice like the majority of your new hires have been referrals, for example, speaking up and saying something about that, um, um, and making it clear, um, you know, we have research that shows referrals lead to homogenous workplaces unless we're intentional about them and remind people like, hey, don't just, you know, refer people that look and act and think like you, but think outside of the box and think of the different types of perspectives and backgrounds that we could, um, we could bring in and ultimately continue to foster inclusion. So, yeah. Absolutely. And on that last note, when mm -hmm. referrals will unintentionally at times create a homogenous workplace culture, mm -hmm. uh, we have to really be mindful of that missed opportunity to have a culture ad. Yes. Right? So yeah. we talk so much about culture fit and companies will reject candidates based on them not being a fit. But yeah. there's that missed opportunity to see, well, what is this person adding to the mix that could help us potentially, you know, um, progress and challenge some of our ideas exactly. and, and help us kind of move forward. So I really love that last point there. Mm -hmm. And some of the earlier ones that you talked about, which are so relevant in our remote culture with having that direct language, whether yes. you're, um, you know, in person or on a meeting or maybe even in an email or Slack. Um, I think a lot of us, we, we don't really have that discernment between when to use I and we, mm -hmm. um, and really the impact of when we say I, that, you know, goes to show that this is either our own opinion or our own experience versus that we, um, you know, what do we all stand for in terms of our values or, yeah. you know, um, shared collaboration. So that's a really good nuance. And, and the body language with the Zoom meetings, there's yeah. that loss of context. <laughs> So I think everyone's been getting used to, I think their, you know, um, their Zoom face. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I think another part to that is a lot of the times I think there's that Zoom fatigue where oh, yes. maybe we just want our video off. And yeah. that can make a really big difference and help people kind of get their work done if they're having a bad day and don't necessarily want to be on you know on camera so yeah, yeah. People that flexibility too i think is huge definitely that's me today <laughs> <laughs> i've been on camera all week so i was like i need a break today totally. yeah. um so understandable and i wanted to also get a sense of the type of support that you're providing currently so i imagine a lot of you what you do is online and, and are you kind of spread across geographies or can you mm -hmm. kind of share a bit more of what your offering is at the moment? Yeah, so um, 
to, to answer the later piece, yes, spread across geographies. Um, I am based in New York, but I work with um, people that are um, kind of all over. I've got some clients in Atlanta, in um, a, a good handful in California, naturally Silicon Valley. And I, you know, before I transitioned into working um, for myself, I um, worked in the tech space. And so it was a kind of natural transition for me to continue working with um, tech companies and startups. Um, recently, I spoke to someone in Melbourne, Australia, which was cool. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but it's really interesting, um, not only just working with different geographies, but also different industries now. So um, I've since expanded to also work beyond tech and, and I've touched food and beverage now, um, online retailer, um, fitness. So it's been really cool. Um, and it's interesting to see the overlap that, you know, exists uh, within this work, um, despite the different um, sectors or industries. Um, but in terms of what my work looks like, um, it usually, it's a partnership. I like to think of the way that I approach things very collaboratively. Um, and I go in typically help people assess their current climate as it pertains to diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and also belonging. I, I haven't touched on that, but I usually, um, when I say inclusion, I tag that to belonging as well, because that's very important. Um, and they do slightly differ. Um, but I go into uh, a, a project or an initial interaction with someone and do an assessment or an audit where we look at, um, you know, any sort of uh, actual data they have, quantitative or qualitative, about their employees. We look at uh, policies and procedures. We look at benefits. Are they inclusive, for example? Like, um, you, do you have uh, proper support for parents? Do you have support for, um, you know, transgender individuals who are transitioning or require additional healthcare support? All those things are things that we want to be mindful of. And then also touching on the things I mentioned before. Um, so looking at, you know, promotional procedures, evaluations and feedback and what that process is like. And of course, hiring as well. So looking at everything from, the beginning stages of hiring where you're putting out a job posting and making sure that job posting uses inclusive language to um, you know, a candidate walking through the door on their first day for onboarding. So we think about all of those steps. Um, and then once we sort of aggregated all of that information from that audit, then I work with teams to um, build out a roadmap or a really cohesive strategy um, that focuses on a variety of work streams, again, from recruiting to communications to employee development. Um, and then we set out a timeline and some metrics and we just run with it. <laughs> um, and I like to work in a very um, iterative process. So I like to work, I've used a lot of agile techniques from my time in the tech space. Um, right. And it allows us to quickly pivot, um, which is important, especially now because things are changing by the day. So you have to have a plan that allows you to, to change and be agile um, as you go along. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, we're all taking it day by day and things mm -hmm. are shifting so rapidly. So um, mm -hmm. I think having that agility in, in your process and your method is so important. Absolutely. Um, so I'd love to know what would be one highlight of your career so far if there's anything that you could share any any story there yeah um ooh, i honestly it's been um launching my own business um i 
you know, did, had no plans to do this during a pandemic. <laughs> and it just happened. Little did I know, we, I, you know, I'd be doing this during a pandemic, as well as like a, a very strong political uprising that's tied directly to the work that I do. Um, and so it's been a roller coaster of emotions, to say the least. Um, and it's by far one of the most challenging things I've done. Um, but it's also been really rewarding in a lot of ways. I've been able to connect with a lot of people. Um, I've been able to spark conversations with people to get them to think about diversity, equity, inclusion in different ways. Um, I recently launched a, an inclusive workplace training for a food and beverage um, company, and it was really, it went really well. And uh, it was, you know, I don't know if you're, you're familiar, but if you look at the food and beverage industry um, beyond maybe Starbucks, there hasn't been a lot out there in terms of like, how do you actually train people working in these industries um, and foster inclusive spaces? Because not only are they dealing with the internal employees, but you constantly have this wave of guests coming in and customers. Mm -hmm. um, and so to just experience that and, and help this company build something from scratch was has been really rewarding. and. Um, the feedback uh, and the way it was received was really positive. So um, yeah, there have been a lot of, of wins so far, but I would say those are probably the biggest two right now is just launching my business. And, and um, I launched just in April and it's still been going really well. So um, having not, you know, fallen off of it yet has <laughs> been, has been um, a win. I know that you've been so busy too. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate you making the time for oh, of course. Today. Um, and just a couple more questions for you here. Sure. So you had mentioned inclusion and belonging and how sort of belonging is tied to inclusion, but there's a bit of a difference. So can you mm -hmm. expand on that and share a bit more of what that difference looks like or the kind of um, tie between the two? Yeah, so when we think about inclusion, um, to me, inclusion is really um, an outcome or the result of diverse people um, actually feeling as if they're welcomed into a space. And then belonging is when you, once you're there in the space, you just can be yourself. Like you're not thinking about, you know, for me, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I'm a black woman in this space. I wonder how they're, you know, interpreting my hairstyle today. Or, you know, even though I may feel included in terms of my work, I may not feel like I belong because, you know, I may not see anyone else like me or, um, you know, my, I, there may be microaggressions in the workplace, right? Um, so there are those small things where to me, inclusion is more so tied to, um, the work that I'm doing and is it welcome Do people hear my ideas and then belonging is beyond that of like, can I actually be myself and on top of, you know, being a hard worker and contributing to this space. Right. So it almost sounds like inclusion is a precursor to belonging. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I, I kind of think they go hand in, or should go hand in hand. Right. Um, and again, their outcomes, their results of having diverse, um, you know, uh, the presence of diversity, um, which is really just the presence of differences, regardless of race, gender, ability, disability, sexual orientation, et cetera. And combining that with equity, which is this idea of fairness and justice um, and not, not equality, which is we're giving everyone the same thing, but equity, right. which is we're giving individuals what they need to thrive. 
to be successful. Absolutely. And that's, that's the part where I think um, a lot of leaders, you know, they try to sort of unpack that and it's a struggle to really get equity right, um, mm-hmm. understanding everybody's ind- individual needs and accommodation mm-hmm. uh, without it really being, let's say, unfair to others. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's sort of an area where um, companies can actually consider, uh, for example, just looking at working from home, right? Sure. Um, so I think a lot of companies may have sort of leaned towards working from home, thinking about parents, mm-hmm. right? Um, but to only reserve that right for parents, um, you know, that obviously causes issues for the rest of the company culture. Um, And so I think, you know, we can kind of look at some of the approaches for accommodation and kind of see what can we do that kind of we keep within the culture or kind of Mm -hmm. available to everyone or, you know, devise some sort of system where it's really, you know, championing or kind of looking at these opportunities that diverse um, individuals will highlight as needs and, and kind of, you know, shining light on areas where the entire company could kind of benefit from these approaches, right? Definitely, yes. Um, And that's one way I think about how we can, you know, get around um, seeming like we're favoring one group or not, you know, um, making things a little too uneven or whatever the case might, it may be on the outside uh, when people are looking in, right? Definitely, definitely. Um, So what is one small change you think we can all currently make as individuals to practice inclusion in our relationships at work? What would your advice be there? Um, Check your bias. So if you are not practicing self-awareness and being mindful of your biases and um, not just the conscious or implicit biases, but or unconscious or implicit biases, but also the very conscious and explicit ones, um, then you should, you should start practicing that. So um, first, understanding what bias is, and there's a lot of information out there that talks about um, the two primary types of bias um, and how, you know, they are connected to what we call the slow brain and the fast brain. If you've ever heard of the, the book Thinking Fast and Slow, um, it's a good read on that. Um, but understanding what bias is and how our brains work, um, and then understanding, then trying to assess and understand what your individual biases are. So, you know, if you bias towards, I don't know, I'm wearing a bun right now, so maybe you bias towards people wearing buns, right? You have to go in and, and check yourself and challenge yourself and understand, like, why do I have this feeling or thought about this particular person or group of people, mm-hmm. um, and is my reaction you know, valid and are there other possible reactions that someone could have to this? And then starting to just become more self-aware of um, how your bias influences how you're interacting with people and how you are making decisions is really important. So that's something that doesn't require um, other people. That's something that we can do as individuals. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it, I it feels small to me to be more self-aware, but I know that that can be a challenge for people if it's not something Mm -hmm. you're used to doing, but um, the more we can practice that, um, where we're self-assessing and challenging ourselves and our beliefs, um, the more we can break down the barriers and walls that may um, prevent us from building more inclusive environments and prevent us from building strong relationships with other people. Um, we're more alike than we are different, uh, is one of my favorite quotes. Um, and it's true, right? Like, but people have to, um, 
you know, again, check their biases and um, have dialogues with other people to, to break down those barriers. Very well put. I think that is something that's very tangible that everybody can walk away and practice a bit more of that self-awareness, checking their bias and something you mentioned about what other possible reactions could there be, mm -hmm. right? So people mm -hmm. will be living in their own experience and reacting. And um, sometimes I think it, it causes a bit of a tunnel vision yeah. and um, it prevents us from seeing all the other um, areas or, um, you know, uh, intentions or um, ways that we could kind of approach the situation even. Right. Um, there's another a line that I, I always try to go by is assuming the best intent. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, I think when it comes to most interactions, we want to obviously give people the benefit of the doubt, but also, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's a great deal of mental energy that we could spend if we kind of live in a negative space uh, right. and and question everybody and are suspicious of everyone right so yeah assuming the best intent and and what you said about we're more alike than we are different i think yeah. um, that really helps us come together and, and do our best work together and respect each other um but another part to that that i i think you know is something that i personally have been working on is mm -hmm. also holding people accountable, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> so as much as we want to think everyone is great and has great intentions, and sometimes, you know, the impact might not necessarily um, be what they intended it to be, or sometimes it could be. Uh, sure. We can't speak for that, but just holding ourselves and others accountable for the types of behavior and the types mm -hmm. of culture that we, we want to live in, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of this... Um concept of you know being an upstander rather than a bystander right where you are you're holding people accountable and you're speaking up um and that doesn't to your point you still assume good intent right you don't mm. the idea is that you associate the bad behavior with the action or the thing that someone said and not the person and mm. who they are as a being right and being able to address it and if you're not comfortable addressing someone one-on-one again um you know, looping someone else in who can speak to them and have a, you know, one-on-one -on -one candid conversation to help them understand, you know, mm -hmm. how their actions are harming others. For sure. I think that communication piece is key. Mm -hmm. there, there's so much that is unsaid and felt and our behavior is driven by those feelings and and, and that stress that I yeah. think opening up a conversation is so important. Um, whether you want to do that on your own or if you want to engage a manager or HR, mm -hmm. um, there's always a way to get um, to get that communication going and start that conversation and um, just recognizing that whatever that behavior was uh, or whatever that experience was, it, it might not just stop with you. It could wait yes. and that's why it is so important to be an upstander, as you mentioned. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. So thank you so much for sharing all of your insight today, Adriel. Um, I think there's a lot of actionable ways that people can practice inclusion or start to practice inclusion in the workplace. And um, is there any, any final note, anything else that you would like to share with our audience today? Um, yeah, I think, I feel like we ended it on a really good note. Just again, that idea of being an upstander and, and 
not just standing by and letting things happen, mm -hmm. but holding other people and ourselves accountable, um, I think is super important. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future and hopeful for, um, you know, workplaces starting to become more inclusive um, over time. It's going to take time though, right? It's not, it's not going to be an overnight. We wake up and it's amazing, right? <laughs> but um, the more we do it, the more we take these small steps um, towards fostering inclusivity, um, the closer we get to it being the norm. Absolutely. It, we are starting, starting really um, the long road ahead um, and there's still a lot more work to be done. And thank you so much again for all the work that you do and for sharing your voice today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation on promoting an inclusive culture at work and building an environment of psychological safety. You can find out more about today's guest, Adriel Parker, who is a career coach and diversity, equity, inclusion thought partner at adrielparker.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show to catch new episodes of Career Catharsis to gain insight on improving your work life. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Career Catharsis podcast. It would mean the world to me if you shared this episode with somebody that you know to inspire someone to take the next step in their career. Send me your feedback at coach.neha.coram at gmail.com. Connect with me on Instagram at coach.neha or find me on LinkedIn. Simply type my name, Neha Koram, and you'll find me. Looking forward to connecting and see you next time.